Star Wars Monthly Monday number 10. I find their illogic and foolish emotions a constant irritant. Then transfer out, freak! Two! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-legged, and now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, welcome back to the world of Star Wars, Star Wars Monthly Monday, number 10. I'm Chris Honeywell, and I'm here with my co-host, who's strong enough for a man, but made for a woman, Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Good. We haven't used that one before, have we? No, I don't think so. <laughs> All right, you might have to edit. Other you people might have to edit that part out. Other people ever... have used it before, I'm sure, but... And if we used it, and if we used it before, we'll give some sort of prize to whoever can tell us what episode we used it in. My so. dad always used to say "strong enough for a horse, but made for a woman," which <laughs> I found very funny for some reason. <laughs> Even if it was sort of just surreal and <laughs> <laughs> rude to women everywhere. But... Uh, that's the yeah, Gardner okay. tradition. There you go. Yep, <laughs> I'm keeping the dream alive too. Let me tell you. So we're. We're at the big, it's been 10 episodes already, so sort of in the tradition of our Star Trek Monthly Mondays, not to cross the streams and get the Don't star cross things. cross the streams. Um, but uh, I think after this episode, we'll, we'll uh, have a, number 11 will be a big celebration of Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope. Woohoo! And we'll, uh, we'll, uh dedicate that whole episode to that and talk about it even though we could talk about it for <laughs> five or oh, six yeah. episodes or whatever yep but uh well, i mean there, there has been some clamor here and there you know over time for us to talk about the movies i, I think more of the clamor was about our take on the prequels uh-huh and you know i mean I'm, I'm always anxious to talk star wars in any form whatsoever but i think if we're gonna ever cover the movies I think that they should be covered in the proper order. And in my mind, the proper order is four, five, and six, and then you go back, you know, the same way they came out. Me too. That's the way we grew up watching and them, and that's just the way I think that they should be watched. Yeah, and know? it's our show, and that's the way you're going to get them. 
just the same way we got them. <laughs> so there. And that's as long as you're in my podcast, you'll obey my rules, young man. You don't like it, you can get the hell out. Exactly. Well, I was. I, you get I, nothing I and like that. it. I'm actually getting good at this parenting thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Quote unquote good. <laughs> well, you know, as 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 good as you know my my dad was and and his dad before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which you know, that's that's a whole nother podcast right there. <laughs> Lance and Lance. Oh, there you go. It's like Simon and Simon. <laughs> well, hey, I I've got to gloat right out of the gate. All right. I, I can't help it. I you know I I hate to do this, but I I just I just have to. If you'll remember, if you'll take your mind back to uh, I'll a few take episodes. take my mind back. <laughs> I get the receipt, too. But you know, <laughs> if you go back to uh, uh, Star Wars Monthly Monthly, uh, yeah, Monthly Monday, rather, uh, Episode 7, you guys might remember I talked about, you know, the whole deal with pizzazz and uh, well, who were we talking about? Dave Cockrum's art and stuff like that. And you know, I was just mentioning, you know, the the whole deal with how oh, pizzazz. Oh, I know what's coming had. here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I went out um, this weekend. Uh, I actually went out on a mission for a friend. I was hunting for some uh, some comics that I saw the last time that I was there, and uh, I mentioned it to a buddy of mine who I knew, you know, he was I thought might be hunting these particular issues. So he sent me back out and said, you know, pick these up if you can still find them. So I went back, and as I'm digging through, you know, the boxes I had been through before looking for these particular issues, lo and behold, what do I find? Star Wars number zero. This was uh, put out by Dark Horse back in June of 1997. This is the, the book that reprints the first half of that rare pizzazz stuff. You know, it's all, like, re... Uh, I don't know so much re-edited, but it's basically it's it's all put together as a yeah reformatted. That's it, you know, as a comic. Whereas you know when they when these strips came out in pizzazz, you know, it was like I think it was like two or three pages every issue. So here you've got you know a full size comic that's you know like half of the run of pizzazz. But uh, I mean, this was just a hell of a find. You know, uh, you know, I mean, it was a dollar. This thing is expensive as all hell because I tried to get this a while ago when I, you know, when we started getting, you know, going over the uh, the Star Wars, the the Marvel Comics Star Wars in these monthly Mondays. I, I've just got back onto a real big Star Wars kick, you know, reading Star Wars comics. I've been reading the Dark Horse stuff and all that. But I, I really got anxious. I wanted to track down that lost Marvel stuff, you know, because Marvel did a lot of work with – you know, pizzazz and the Marvel UK stuff and all that. And I really got curious, you know, how much of that stuff is out there that I just didn't know about, you know? So I really got anxious to want to track it down. And this was a book I was fully prepared to spend a fortune to buy it until I learned that it wasn't all of the pizzazz stuff. It was only half the story. And then I kind of lost interest in it. Now, now let me, I remember you saying that. Now, what do you what do you say, what do you mean by a fortune? What what, what are we talking here? How many uh, clamaroonies? I mean, well, this particular one that I got of the Star Wars Zero, this is the even rarer one because this one has the this the variant cover with with Leia. 
I'm thinking, I mean, when I was looking at this on eBay, I don't think I saw this thing for, for less than like 30 or 40 bucks. Oh, I mean, it was yeah, expensive. Nice. Oh, I mean, cool. you know, for a, I mean, cause it's, it's not, I mean, it, it's only, what is it? 20, it's like 27, it's 27 pages. And, you know, it, it's great as a collector's item type of thing. It's great as a little piece of Star Wars history. But, I mean, I'm just going to be honest and say it's not the greatest story. So I didn't want to yeah. pay a lot for it. You know what yeah. I mean? I, but I just I wanted it for my collection. You know, like those other ones I talked about. You know, like the, what was that one, uh, World of Fire or whatever. They're just a lot of fun to read. But, I, you know, I... I always stress when I talk about these things, you know, if you're going to pick them up, you know, find them on the cheap, don't pay a fortune for them. Cause they're just, they're, they're honestly, they're not worth paying a fortune for. They're just a fun read, but you know, don't, don't go crazy. But anyway, I mean, this was just a hell of a fine for a buck. I mean, this is one of the best, uh, flea market finds I've had in a long time. It just really just totally made my weekend. And I just kind of wanted to share it with everybody. Cause it's like, it's so odd. You know, I was just talking about this a couple episodes ago and then bang there it is you know yeah, and i'd I'm, never even seen it you know it, you know it uh i was going to say in person you. But you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah well then I'll, you know shortly before that what was it i think it was last episode i was you know yeah it was it was last episode we were talking about star wars 3d you know, because yes. you had just gotten 3D number one. Yes. And it made me curious to go back. You know, I'd been years and years since I had read my Star Wars 3D comics. I actually have all three of them. So I sat down and I read those again and everything. And then out of curiosity, I, I went to uh, Wikipedia and looked up some of the characters just out of curiosity to see, you know, had anybody ever touched on them? Again? You know, had they ever yeah. been revisited, you know? And lo and behold, in that story in Star Wars 3D number one, the guy that le- that Luke leaves the uh, the the Lars farm to what was his name? Trag or Tra- yeah, something like that. Yeah, Throg or Trog or yeah, something. Well, I can't remember what his name was. It was mentioned on on Wikipedia that he actually what it do- is mentioned again. He's mentioned in a book called uh, X Wing Rogue Squadron. Well, the last time I went to the the flea market before this time that I found the Star Wars Zero, I find this book for a dollar. Now, is this a novel or is this a comic, Rogue Squadron? No, it's a novel. This is uh, book one in the – I guess this was a whole series of Rogue Squadron books. I've seen them around. Yeah, beautiful art on the cover. I'm not sure if the – I I don't know if the video game is based – on the novels, or the novels are based on the video game? I don't know. I was wondering that very same thing myself, because I know that, again, you know, not don't want to cross the streams and all that, but I, I recently picked up a Star Trek book that is actually based on a Star Trek game. And so this kind of makes me curious if these Rogue Squadron Star Wars mm-hmm. books have anything to do with the Rogue Squadron game. Well, I think maybe I, – I, 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 I tend to think the books came first because my impression always – because I, I don't play a lot of video games. But when I do – but if there's Star Wars games, I'm always into checking them out. And the Rogue Squadron games were the first Star Wars video games – they really gave me what I wanted, basically a simulator yes. for, for the Millennium Falcon or a X-Wing or whatever. And like the Rogue Squadrons, I don't know, the one, I think it, it was up to, uh, 
It, I think we've got one for the Xbox, maybe. Right. And, and up to that level, you know, the battle over Endor is just basically a simulation of the battle over Endor. The TIE fighters fly at you in the same formation at the movie as a movie, and you're fighting around the like medical frigates and stuff like that, and it's great. Right. But I always and the, and then there were always a little um, cutscenes, and 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 the cutscenes I noticed had had characters in them, and the characters were sort of shaded. You know, they were sort of presented as if you would probably you probably should know who they are, right? Anyway, from the I think the first one I played was on the GameCube, and, right? Yeah, and the GameCube one. You know, it was the one where the characters were the most, they were sort of talking, bantering with each other and stuff. And there was, you know, there was sort of a backstory to them. You, you got the idea. So I'm I'm tending to think either the comics or the books came for it because there was a series of comics, too. Yes. Uh-huh. That's right. Yeah. I, I don't I haven't ever checked them out. But, yeah, I, I, I do know about I've seen those. them, but I've never read them. Well, I mean, the the mention of that character being in this book is the really, I'll, I'll be honest, is the only reason I picked this book up because I'm not terribly interested in you know the adventures of Rogue Squadron to be to be honest I with think you. Wedges in it, but yeah, yeah, I'm, I, you know, now I'm kind of curious because anything that you know, my hats off to any of these Star Wars writers that are that are working to bring obscure. Um, segments of the comic book um stuff into canon or actually any any piece of obscure star wars stuff that's out there because i i understand that some of the the timothy zahn books um somehow brought star tours into star trek uh, excuse me into star wars canon in the novels so i mean I, i'm curious to check that stuff out just to see how it's pulled off oh you know? so they actually portrayed the company that that the ride is simulating. I guess I, I have yet to read them, but that's what I you know, I read about it somewhere. I think it was in Star Wars. There was an issue of Star Wars Outsider, which is a magazine I don't normally you know you mean buy. Star or Wars or Insider is it Insider? Yeah, I'd love to. That? I'd love to see what Star Wars Outsider is. <laughs> is that what I said? Yeah, I am the I'm Star tired. Wars Outsider. It's been a long day, and I'm I'm like sun sunstroked from nice. sitting. <laughs> but yeah, Star Wars uh, Insider. They, they had a special issue on the uh, whatever the anniversary was that Star Tours just passed. What was it? The twentieth? I guess it was the twentieth anniversary. Twenty it's something be anniversary. 20 or 20, it could even be the twenty-fifth. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, whatever that anniversary was, I picked that issue up just out of curiosity, and uh, you know, it was like a super in-depth article all about it. And they mentioned how. Um, Star Tours had actually been mentioned in in a couple of uh, the Timothy Zahn novels, so you know I'm I'm curious to check that out. And uh, well, you know, like uh, like some of these books that are coming out now. Like uh, one of the reasons I really was so anxious to pick up that uh, Order sixty six book is Fen Shisa is in it. So I mean, you know, how uh, cool is that? Yeah. That, that, that really incorporating these these obscure comic book elements into uh into star wars can i think that's great you well know? i bet you about half the people who are reading the book have probably read the comics too you know mm -hmm. so they're 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 hip to that jive man 
I think there's more fans of that stuff than than that stuff gets credit for. You know and, what I mean? And, and if they're not, if they haven't read it in the comics, it's a nice surprise for them when they do read the comics. Yep. Well, I mean, you know, the, those comics, those the Marvel stuff, and and you know, even like the 3D that came later and all that. That stuff was Star Wars for a long time, you know, be- between the movie trilogies and, you know, before all the nine. I mean, that, you know, there's like a million novels out there now. Right. But, you know, people tend to forget that between, you know, the, the cancellation of the Marvel series and then uh, what was that first Timothy Zahn book, whatever that I can't remember what the name of it was now, but, you know, his first book. There was a, a quite a long dry spell where there was like nothing for Star Wars. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you know those, those comics were were Star Wars for a lot of people after the end of uh, after the end of Jedi. You know, up until those novels started to come out. So, well, lastly, speaking of uh, you know just all this stuff, reprints and the Marvel comics and all that. Um, did you know that Alan Moore wrote Star Wars? Yes. I have some somewhere. Oh, really? And in CBR form. Ah, okay. And uh, they're good. They're a little. Yeah, di- I- they're they're obviously by Alan Moore. They're kind of a little horror. Like I, I'd have to read them again, but I remember reading them and being like, they were different, you know. And and I think I believe that I remember they were really nicely illustrated, and I think it was the same guy who did the British Doctor Who comics around the Tom Baker era. And I can't it remember the be. guy's name. Well, you know, we, we'd been talking these past couple episodes about, you know, some of the, the Star Wars rarities and comics and reprints and all that pizzazz stuff and Marvel UK and all that. And uh, I got to thinking about, you know, these different ones. And I remembered that I had not long ago I bought there was a two-issue collection called uh, Star Wars. It was Classic Star Wars Devil Worlds, and it republished several of the like really obscure Star Wars, you know, the Marvel UK stuff between issues one hundred and fifty and one hundred and fifty-nine. Most of those stories are by Alan Moore, you know, and they took the artwork and they, you know, they colored it, they reformatted it, they retouched it a little bit. And I I really enjoyed it. You know, the stories are weird and wacky and all that. And, you know, Dark Horse has like a little disclaimer on the inside front cover of both issues saying that, you know, these are basically being represented as historical curiosities, you know. Whatever. And that, and that you know, that the, the, what do they call it, canonosity right. is sketchy and all that. But I, I I thought they were very interesting. You know, the the more stories, you know, he did one with uh, with Darth Vader that was really cool, where he oh, was where he's like, talking to like Cthulhu. Yeah, basically. yeah, he's exactly. Like, there's a big chessboard with a yes, with a, with a um, oh what a, what is the name of that guy that was flying co-pilot with Billy D in Jedi? Oh, nine, nine numb or whatever. Nine, yeah, there's a nine, whatever nine numbs races. There's a piece that looks like him and he's sitting in his like 60s sort of chair and talking to basically like cthulhu or or it looks like cthulhu or one of the spice spice navigators from dune i thought it looked like the squid from the end of watchmen myself that's what i thought it looked a lot like like, maybe here's where the squid idea came from i i think a lot of that comes from uh 
Cthulhu from you know the the Lovecraftian uh, okay stuff. Well, you know what it it really gave me the feel of you know mix V for Vendetta with Star Wars, and that's kind of what you got in these because the art was a really really reminded me of V for Vendetta a lot. It, it wasn't the same artist, so far as I'm aware, but just that that uh, 2000 AD art style, you know, that very, very British, you know, even the, the star Wars elements and the characters and all were written very British. So it was, it was star Wars through a, a, a British lens and it was different. I mean, I, but I enjoyed it. You know, I thought it was really interesting and all that. One of them, at, at least one of the stories was uh, some early um, um, Alan Davis artwork and uh, you know, I really I like his uh, you know I like Alan Davis a lot, but it was interesting to see his roots, you know, and see his early stuff because wow, it was uh, you know you could see him in there, but it sure was rough, you know. It was it was yeah. you know I don't know that I would have recognized him if had I you know not known that it was him, but uh, it was it was interesting, you know. I, I encourage anybody, you know, that's another one, you know, pick it up on the cheap if you can find it out there, and I think I've seen that stuff in like fifty cent bins and stuff. Oh, so, it's yeah, check well it, worth it. it. The, the the art is is gorgeous i'm looking at it now and the the alan moore story that features luke mm-hmm. is beautiful it's all very horror sort of style with ancient ancient temples and stuff that's awesome there was one sequence i got i got the biggest kick out of where it shows luke and he's practicing and it looks like he's in a like a building or in a you know, almost like in the in the sequence where he was practicing with his lightsaber on the Millennium Falcon in the first movie, uh-huh. and then it says uh, an alarm goes off on his X-wing's control panel, and he has to stop his practice and go. In. <laughs> so yes. evidently, this this it's like room a TARDIS. is supposed. Yeah, it's yeah, it's supposed to be inside that. And I was like, now how does that work exactly? That that, that works by Alan Moore. Didn't know it wasn't prepped up enough for yep. <laughs> for it. Luke had a massive X-wing in that one. Yeah. Well, lastly, that pretty much wraps up the uh, the stuff I had for Marvel UK or whatever. I, I just I'm really curious about that stuff. But from what I've been able to research, it looks like basically everything has been reprinted of the Marvel UK stuff, and there really wasn't a whole lot that was original to that line. Most of it really right. was just reprints of the stuff that we got over here. But there is one issue. It was uh, number 149. Seems to be the only story um, of the Marvel UK stuff that was never reprinted in the United States. It was a story called Death Mask. It says it was one of the first stories to take place after the events of The Empire Strikes Back. And even though it was basically in that same run of issues that were featured in that Devil World series. They didn't throw it in there for whatever reason. It's really weird. And it holds the distinction of being the only officially licensed Star Wars story in any medium that's not been published in the United States. I just thought that was kind of a weird little historical curiosity for Star Wars. And I'll just throw it out there that I'm looking for it. So if anybody's got one, they want to – clue me in on or send to me or whatever i I'd, I'd be very interested in it but that's pretty much it for the marvel uk stuff what else we got you want me to move on to this book review thing <laughs> sorry i was eating a twinkie 
Hi friends, it's me, Orca Stay Free, and this is the Orca Book Club. Hi and welcome back to Orca's Book Club. The book I want to talk about very briefly today is called Star Wars Jedi Trial by David Sherman and Dan Craig. This was the abridged audiobook version read by Jonathan Davis. In this book, Anakin fights to free a crucial communications hub from the Separatists. This book, and keep in mind that I listened to an abridgment of it, was very, very long and very, very boring. Awesome. Lot, yeah, just what I like in my Star Wars books. Right. <laughs> had lots and lots and lots of talk, talk, talk. And it was chock full of military jargon that, you know, while that can work and be done, you know, extremely interestingly at times. And, you know, I'll even be pointing that out in a future review of a military jargon heavy Star Wars novel that I liked a hell of a lot better than this book. But in this one, suffice, suffice it to say that it just falls flat. It gets tiresome really fast. And uh, and this is just one of those books where all that military stuff just doesn't – it just feels like somebody was trying to impress you with their military right. whatever. It just doesn't come off right. I'm just going to cut to the chase because, frankly, this this book just isn't worth a lengthy review and, and just say that um, it did have a pretty awesome climax to the book. You know, Anakin, he just – toward the very end, he just kind of snaps – and he goes totally apeshit berserk in the midst of this like intense final firefight battle and basically single-handedly wipes out you know that he 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 accomplishes the mission basically we get totally into his head and his thought process and we see how his mind functions when he's both really into the force and in the jedi zone but we also see how his mind works as the dark side Berserker. starts to overtake. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of – in that moment of the book with the dark side really, you know, kind of nipping at his, at his brain. I we, like that. You know, like nipping that image? Nipping at his brain. Nipping at his brain. <laughs> brain. <laughs> you know, we get some great – character insight and some just some great foreshadowing because you know we know where he's headed but you know this book succeeds in that one aspect but it's just it's too little too late because it's not enough to save a book that has just fucking plotted along up to this point and i've seen this happen not just in Star Wars novels. I've seen it in a lot of other novels, but I just I want to throw it out there to to these authors that you, you you know I hate books that do this shit that that just you know it feels like homework to get through it. You know, it feels like you know you, you've yeah. really just got to force yourself to read it. And they think that, well, if I just end it with a fucking amazing climax, then it's going to be okay. Yeah, well, and they probably I, I, wrote the climax and put everything in around it, you know, right. based on uh, their notes. So it probably read like reading someone's notes, maybe. See, exactly. Not that that read it. <laughs> when I read books like that, that's how I always walk away from it is you know, somebody had a great idea for how this was going to end. 
and then they had to come up with all the crap in the beginning to get right. you there. And uh, you know, I, I really don't enjoy that. You know, I, I I will never ever give a good review to a book that does that because I don't want to have to plod along. And you know, movies are the same way. I don't want well, to have to force lazy. myself to stay with it just in the hopes that it's going to pay off at the end. Because you know, there's too many other things drawing my attention out there, other books and comics and movies and everything, to stick with something in the hopes that it's going to be good at the very end. Yeah, you know. And that's really what this book was. Although it was good at the very end, you know, like I say, by that point, I'm like, eh, you know, it took you too long to get there. I, I was kind of wore out by that point. But, uh, you know, ultimately, this is an easily skipped book. It adds nothing to the overall canon. It doesn't fill in anything or whatever. So, you know, you can let this one slide by in your in your Star Wars collection. So, so says Judge Scott Gardner. There you go. So, again, this was a Star Wars Jedi Trial by uh, David Sherman and Dan Craig. Sorry, guys, I don't recommend this one. This has been the Orca Book Club. There'll be no one to stop us this time. Hey, true freak folks, it's Dufo Demanzo here. I get big money from my movie, Dufo Demanzo's Giant Fighting Robots 2, Fall of the Rising. I take some money to send the two true freaks to the Dragon Convention in Atlanta City on the weekend of labor. There they should work. Maybe interview celebrity, maybe pretty girl in Princess Leo bikini, or maybe interview you. Then make it to maybe one good show and make me some money for once. If you see them at convention, tell them to get back to work. Swinging hotel and Greyhound bus not cheap. So you listen to podcasts and tell celebrities to go talk to them. And watch Giant Fighting Robots 2 Fall of the Rising. Now on DVD Director Cut Edition from Demanza Corp. Bye now! Star Wars, The Clone Wars. Senator Padme Amidala travels to Rhodia on an errand of mercy. There, she is betrayed and handed over to her old enemy, Newt Gunray. It's up to the clumsy, idiotic, and supremely annoying Jar Jar Binks and his faithful Indian companion, C-3PO, to rescue her, if he can survive. Will he succeed? Do you really want him to? So what did we think of the infamous Jar Jar episode? I liked it. I think this is kind of... um... Not that I'm a hater of Jar Jar, I'm not a hater of Jar Jar, but I think this is sort of a redemptive episode for Jar Jar. I think this episode played as, you know, a comedy of errors, which is right. what Jar Jar's all about in it. And so his character was put in a world of its own, you know, in a little story of its own where you could have, you know, Pratt Falls and bouts of insanely ridiculous luck that come out of, you know, a, a, a pratfall 
and um, and it works. It's it's actually funny for the most part. It's it's amusing at, at least. <laughs> I I liked it. I thought this was a good. Um, and and it, and it's sort of an and it's sort of a little um, nod and wink and maybe even a little thumbing the noses at the Jar Jar haters. You know? Right, yeah, I did get that feeling. There were definitely. many, there were many, many, many Jar Jar is dead jokes. You know, C three PO delivered a lot of you know lines about you know Jar Jar being dead, and so they they, they were acknowledging you know that there are a lot of people who who really would want him dead. <laughs> well, that's one of the great pleasures of the uh, of the first Star Wars Battlefront game. I think is that there's that one level. Where you can just shoot Gungans to your heart's content, and uh, I, I, I've played that level for is many an, an hour. Is so. there an is there an Ewok level too for the Ewok haters? Actually, yes, there is. There I is figured there had to level. be. So, but I don't know that I would classify myself as a Jar Jar hater necessarily, because I, you know, I, I try to use that word, you know, sparingly. when I'm serious about it, I try to use that word sparingly. Yeah. However. You know, if he were to fall, you know, at some factory and get horribly mangled in some large piece of machinery, Squashed I, I like a frog. Be, yeah, I wouldn't be horribly, you know, upset and and torn up about it either. So, but no, I mean, overall, I I enjoyed the episode. It was better than I expected it to be because I remember when the when the commercials were shown for this one. You know, the tr- yeah, teaser. it was. Uh, I, I remember that too. Yeah, groaning and going, oh God, here's the, you know, because everybody was waiting for him to show up. Yeah, and I, and I was like, I guess it was only a matter of time, right? But yeah, I enjoyed it. You know, he's he's mistaken for a Jedi, and um, it takes place on Rodarian, uh, Greedo world, basically. And I which guess which was beautiful too. Yeah, and 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 it seems like the 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 president or you know leader of Rodar, you know. Of of that world, it has history with Amidala as like an old family friend, and kind of you know, it's a standard story. He betrays her to the Trade Federation and redeems himself at the end, and and they um they once again take Newt Gungray into into uh into custody. Now there is a character that I hate, and and I mean it. <laughs> uh-huh. I really hate Newt Gunray. I don't know what it is about that character. He's a loathsome character. He's he is supposed but... to be hated, but I don't think you're meaning you're hating him in the way that he was meant to be hated as a bad guy. I just hated him because I thought he. I guess mostly I just thought he was a shit character. But it's weird because you know. I'm not usually a snap judgment kind of person. I, no. At least I don't think I am. No. But from the moment he first came on screen in Phantom Menace, I hated Newt Gunray. There was just something about him I just didn't like right off the right out of the gate. So you know when he finally does get his comeuppance in uh, in Episode Three, even though it was done in in a pretty quick and sorta kind of off screen way. Yeah. I was still cheering, you know. I I still loved it. You know, I would have I would have liked to have seen a much more gruesome, vicious end for him. But you know, he still yeah. he he got it. What was coming to him, I loved it. But uh, yeah, that's a character I just. What uh, what one thing I thought was really cool in this crab droid. The, the, yes, the, the imperial crab droid. That was cool. It was sort of a Gungan and girl power um, episode. I think this one will. 
appeal to the little girls a little bit because it's you know funny Jar Jar. It's funny. It's it's actually sort of Jar Jar and C three PO, you know, who are two comedy characters. So you know, basically C three PO gets to deliver all of his R two reactions on on Jar Jar, which is funny because he has a little slightly different take on Jar Jar. You know, three PO is sort of the Greek chorus in this one. And uh, of course, since it's a Jar Jar episode, there's a there's a fart joke in it too. <laughs> so there you go. I guess you had to have that. I, the, the, that's when the, that's when I figured they were just toying with the people who hate Jar Jar and. Because those people hated the fart jokes in episode one too, which I hated them too. But what, uh, I often think Piusa though. If I smell something bad, I think Piusa, <laughs> and it pisses me off. It pisses me off, Scott. Now, did uh, I'm about to hang my head out the window and yell, "I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore." <laughs> I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take Jar Jar and, and anymore. And there was a yippy moment too, where I where. Jar Jar said fiddlesticks in this, and I figured fiddlesticks. What the hell? Why would why, how how the hell would the word fiddlesticks evolve in the Star Wars con- context? Fiddlesticks. <sighs> yeah, I, I caught that too. Fiddlesticks. <sighs> but otherwise, note, I liked though, it. Didn't didn't Padme wear her that skin tight white outfit? Yeah, it's basically yeah. They basically just spray painted it onto her wireframe, basically. Yeah. <laughs> you're getting yeah, like that, you're getting all hot on on a like on a computer generated oh whenever girl I watch, that's based on a marionette too <laughs> whenever I watch episode two and it and it gets to that part of the movie where she suddenly yeah. switched to that outfit, I have to sit like really 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 close to the t v <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say you had to sit with, like, the jar of popcorn in your lap or something like that. <laughs> Don't call me up to the blackboard during that Yeah, part. exactly. <laughs> should be ashamed right, of well, yourself. I always thought – I always felt that way about Mala when she was in that hot, hot, like – I don't know what it is about housewives in their, in their you know, cooking aprons. But when Ma, the way Mala wore that apron, man, I was ready for Wookiee mating season, let me tell you. You are wrong, 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 wrong. I mean, there's right, kind well, of an, ex- uh, you know, there's kind of a little family resemblance there. I'm starting to grow <laughs> the Wookiee hair out. Well, she is naked in an apron, which normally yes. that would actually that's, be kind that's, of turned That's on. hot, man. That's hot. That is hot. You're right. You're Okay, I'll give you that one. Mala yeah. in an apron is actually kind of, God almighty, what the hell that. is wrong with us? She's a woman. She's a woman milf. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, I'm done with We're this. We're out of here, of man. Party. We're done with this one. We're getting rid of this one. Flushing this one. In a, I, I don't want to say we're, we're flushing this segment, but we're not flushing the episode. I like the episode. Yeah, I'll it watch right. it again. I watched. I watched it both times and was totally amused by it. Well, it, it puts us at a good point too, because the the ones after this get get that much better, building yeah. off of what you know how this one ends too, yeah. with uh, with Newt be, Newt Gunray being taken into uh, custody. custody and all that. So yeah, good one. You are listening to Two True Freaks, Two True Freaks dot Lipson dot com. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away.
there exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. Now we're back to uh, Star Wars number, what, what are we up to, 25, 26, and 27? No, 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 24, 25, and 26. These, uh, thankfully we are past the wheel story, which I, you know, I don't dislike it, don't get me wrong, but I do think that's kind of the low point of the issues set between Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. So from here, it's all pure goodness, I believe. So anyway, getting into uh, number 24, this one's written by Joe Duffy. She's called Mary Joe Duffy in, in this particular uh, credit box, but uh, she usually, you know, these days goes by Joe Duffy. Art and it, uh, damn it, I just can't talk tonight. Cover and interior art chores, expertly handled again by uh, Carmine Infantino and Bob Wycheck. The uh, cover image on this one, I really, I really like this one. It's uh, Ben Kenobi, supposed to be drawn as as a younger man. So you know, I, I think he really does look like a nice bridge between, you know, the Ewan McGregor and uh, and Alec Guinness versions of of the character. And uh, he's uh, you know wearing these uh, robes. He's backed into a corner with his lightsaber ignited, and he's uh, holding off a band of armed bad guys. And uh, I just have to point out that, uh, you know, I I have this issue personally signed on the cover by Joe Duffy herself. I had her sign it for me at Ithacon 15 way back in uh, April of 1990. I I had the pleasure of meeting her there and uh, just have to throw that out because as you'll be able to tell here in a little bit. uh, Yeah, well, I had to. I had to. I had to throw it out there. But I really, really like these three issues that we're going to talk about tonight. So anyway, story starts out uh, inside. We have a story called Silent Drifting. And it takes place after the events of issue 15. So kind of stepping back in time a little bit for this story. Story begins with uh, the Falcon being set upon by two TIE fighters. And Han puts the Falcon into kind of a playing possum mode and lures the ties into blaster range where they're pretty easily blown to smithereens. While he's patting himself on his, on his back for his ingenuity and all, you know, Leia, she congratulates him too. But then she points out that this was hardly an original tactic. And in fact, she goes on to say that Ben Kenobi once pulled something very similar. So she relates a story of Kenobi, which is set during the days of the Old Republic. And in the story, Kenobi is bound for Alderaan and he's hitched a ride on a pleasure cruiser where he makes the acquaintance of 68 RKO which I don't know it sounds like a record company or something to me yep he's a very 3PO-ish looking droid and he's uh, he's on his way to enter service with Prince Bail Organa. He's called Prince here rather than Voice or Viceroy, which I think is actually the correct title for him, uh, you know, in canon. Uh, the droid asked Kenobi uh, if Kenobi would po- pose as its master because mechanicals traveling alone aren't 
well liked by people, you know, by by organic beings. And Kenobi agrees to allow the droid to be his traveling companion, but he's not comfortable with the idea of actually owning what he considers to be a living creature. Uh, a fellow passenger starts some trouble when he sees Kenobi and the droid talking, and there's a brief scuffle, uh, brief scuffle, and Kenobi is actually forced to kill the guy in self-defense. Another passenger, uh, you know, having witnessed all of this, he buys Kenobi, uh, you know, basically buys him a drink, you know, something to wet his whistle from this newfangled microwave fermenting drink making machine. And while they're talking, an, over, an alien overhears the man offer Kenobi a business partnership, but uh, the man is a known criminal, and so Kenobi you know, declines his offer. At this point, the ship comes out of hyperspace, and an announcement is made that they are preparing to enter the Merson asteroid belt, which is a dangerous yet necessary route that they have to take in order to navigate through this section of space and avoid uh, detection by these hostile Mersons. Kenobi's summoned to the bridge, and the captain uh, tells him that somehow, impossibly, they're actually being tracked by these guys, these Mersons. Word spreads to the passengers, and they all start to panic. And the Mersons, they prepare the, uh, to attack, and after much thought and debate and a lot of exposition, uh, Kenobi reasons that the only way the Mersons can be tracking them is by some sort of signal that's coming from inside their uh, pleasure cruiser. The enemy ships attack and using the tactic um, that was, you know, very familiar to what we saw Han Solo use at the beginning of this story. Kenobi is able to fend them off, but just temporarily. RKO tells him that he's detecting another signal from inside their ship and it seems to be emanating from the lounge. So Kenobi goes down there and he finds the passengers are about to basically they're they're you know worked into a like a lynch mob mentality and they're going to uh kill the criminal guy that he'd met and talked to earlier. They say that they know that he's the one signaling the mercens but Kenobi asks for proof and which you know nobody seems to be able to produce. The guy begs Kenobi uh to protect him and you know Kenobi, you know, the guy's a criminal, so Kenobi's understandably uh, skeptical of this guy. But he tries to keep the crowd back anyway. You know, he doesn't want to see the guy get get killed. Um, Then the alien that had overheard them talking earlier, you know, surmises that, you know, they must be in league together and that, uh, you know, they're working together. And he tries to get the crowd to attack both of them, you know, Kenobi and this criminal guy. Then some, something uh, suddenly clicks with Kenobi, and he realizes where the signal is coming from. He ignites his lightsaber, and he throws it at the microwave-fermenting drink-making machine, and it explodes, and the Mersons then lose the trail of the cruiser. So they were evidently tracking it through the microwave beams or whatever. The cr- criminal guy thanks Kenobi for defending him and for clearing his name, and at you know for at least this one time anyway. And Ben Kenobi and RKO, they retire to their cabin to hopefully finish their journey in peace. And that's pretty much where we leave off in this issue. Great so issue. You, oh, yeah, I thought so, too. I, I really did enjoy this one. I, 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 what I'm amazed about with this issue is it matches up with the, you know, with the more recent trilogy, with the prequel trilogy. In a I lot of so ways, too. the way that Ben Kenobi acts as a Jedi... 
and speaks as a Jedi, his dialogue, and the way, like, um, the captain of the, the pleasure cruiser sort of calls him up because, oh, there's a Jedi aboard? Bring him up. We need help, you know? Right. It's very, it, very much like the characterization. And, and as you said, he looks like a good bridge between Ewan McGregor and, and Alec Guinness in this. It, it actually fits and all. And it's very nicely drawn once it... Once again, Carmine Infantino pays special attention to Princess Leia's boobs. Mm-hmm. And even though it's a Ben Kenobi story, we still get some chewy dialogue. He actually blows his nose, I, I'm guessing, because he says, Ronk! And <laughs> one. Well, I, uh, I think the art in this issue is fantastic. Yes. And one of the things, right from when I was a kid, one of the things that always stood out to me is I think this issue has some of the best aliens we've seen up to this point. I mean, cause most of the, of the passengers on this ship seem to be non-humans and just some really great, great looking aliens, you know, not the typical, just, you know, stalks for eyes or whatever, but some really original alien designs. And I, I really like that about this, uh, about this issue. Yep. It's, it's, it's sort of a, a variation on the, um, cantina scene in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. You know, it has a little scuffle where Ben Kenobi... It's that sort of a combination of Ben Kenobi's scuffle in the cantina and Han Solo killing Greedo. And yeah. uh, and there's also an asteroid field. Oh, sort yeah. Sort of ahead of, ahead of um, Empire. So that's pretty cool. And I as was... The art is just beautiful. The art of the ships going into the asteroid field is beautiful. Very detailed. Oh, all yeah. the ships, All the ships in this one look... Gorgeous. The opening pages with the with the Falcon fighting the Tie Fighters mm-hmm. is just, just very. You know, it's very draft. You could tell maybe that he had more time to draw this because it's really well thought out and there's you know very well composed. And also the dialogue isn't as busy as it's been in the past. In the you know, in the past six episodes, anyway, six issues. Right. So. Yeah, it well, she. Uh, I think that's one of uh, her strengths as a writer. Is I don't think she tends to be near as exposition heavy yes. as the, the the preceding writers have been. You know, to this point. Um. But you know, I I'm really glad because I was nervous revisiting this issue in particular because you know of course having it signed and all that i love this issue this was always one of my favorite uh issues of star wars and uh but i hadn't read it in a few years you know i hadn't read it since seeing the prequel trilogy so i was nervous to revisit it i really didn't expect that it would it would fit i thought that by this point it would be totally you know you know uh non canonical or what you know however you say it but i was you know i was pleasantly surprised to find that you know if you take the uh the appearance of kenobi uh, you know and and you know as some artistic license or whatever but basically if if you can in your mind give him the jedi robes he had in the prequel trilogy i think this fits right in this could be an episode of like Clone Wars Adventures or something. I mean, it could fit right into that era perfectly. I really didn't find any contradictions at all. 
So I, I enjoyed that. I'd I, love, I to, I'd really love to cool. see this adapted for Clone Wars Avengers. I'd love to see like a little segment with how Han, Chewie, and Leia, and Luke, and you know, would look as Clone Wars characters, you know? Oh, yeah. That would yeah. be really cool. I think so, too. But yeah, I was very, very pleased to find that this, uh, this still holds up really well. And in fact, I think my only nitpick about the entire thing is uh, I noticed this in, in a prior issue where the TIE fighters are firing from like a weird spot. It's like they're firing from the center of their, their window or something. Uh-huh. And then on the back side of the the ship, the exhaust seems to be coming out from like a, a window on the back side. But I guess that's just Carmine Infantino not being familiar with where you know the, like the laser cannons and the and the engines actually are on these because he draws them to look great, but he draws yeah. them to look like the toy. You know, they don't really look like they look in so much in the movie as he. It looks like he was drawing the toy that he was very well may have been. You know, out about that time. Because there's a, 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 I think it's in one of these later issues that we actually see the uh, the top hatch open to the Tie Fighter, and it looks just like the old Kenner toy Tie Fighter would open up, which I'm not sure is how the real Tie Fighter was supposed to open. You know what I mean? So there were there li- were little differences, right. and it also makes me think. You know, it makes me think that they were drawing, uh, you know, from uh, from they the Kenner were model rather than the actual movie model. It would be the most efficient way to draw it from any angle you wanted to. This you know? is true. They probably, true. Sat, they probably sat it up on their desk with a couple books shoved under it at an angle and, okay, and draw it like that and tip it and, and you know, that's what I would yeah. do. It would be a pain in the ass to draw it from memory every time. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. A little bit of trivia on this one. Uh, this is, of course, you know Mary Jo Duffy's first issue of Star Wars, um, but she would come back. You know, she would come back later, and she would be the regular writer on Star Wars, uh, starting with issue seventy, I believe. Also, this is the first time that we've seen the uh, the Galactic Republic era in the Star Wars comics. You know, yep. before this, the furthest we had gone back was uh, Luke's little pre-episode four, you know, adventure on tattooing. So this one went back, you know, back into the, uh, presumably this, this, well, I mean, in order to set, make this one jive up with the prequel trilogy, I think this story would actually have to happen during the clone. Yeah. Wars, right? It, would, it this, would have to, Anakin would still be in play at this point, but he just wouldn't be with Obi-Wan at this point. Right. But there's no, men, there's nothing mentioned or anything that precludes him from, still being in Obi-Wan's life. And as a matter of fact, they knew he was. They didn't even know his name was Anakin at this point, though. No. So he probably, they probably just just were like, didn't even want to touch that. So so that, ironically, that helps make it fit. You know, that, that, keeps, any, that keeps any Anakin stuff out there that, that might not jibe up with, with um, the prequels. So... Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how these comics sometimes really like <laughs> hit the nail on the head. There, there are points where they're wrong, but it's still it's still pretty good. And it makes me wonder if George Lucas may not have been influenced a little bit, or you know, there's there's out. some speculation about that. There there has been speculation because there's so many things that seem to uh, to creep up in empire that that are similar to things that happened in this bridge period 
Well, speaking of, of hitting things on the head, I mean, hitting the nail on the head, did you read the letters in this issue? I did. I don't remember. I don't remember what. One of the letters in this issue uh, actually criticizes the comic series for making Luke and Leia, quote, act more like young brother and sister than sweethearts. Whoops. And I was like, wow. <laughs> Talk about your, your... You know that person has that copy of that comic, too, that got their letter printed in it and was just like, ah. Shows it to everybody. Yeah. For the past 30 years, he's yeah. been driving people nuts with... You know, I wrote this letter, and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but you know, how, you know, I mean, how is that for bragging rights? Yeah, and the first one he probably totally. knew it before. He probably knew it before Lucas did. Because I don't <laughs> believe I don't believe the bullshit at this point that Lucas knew everything that he was going to do nope. through Jedi. I think he nope. had a rough, rough, rough idea, and then would just sketch it out, or, you know, finish it off before the movie came out. But yeah. I wonder if he even knew when Yoda gives the line of uh, there is another in Empire, if he even knew that the other was going to be Leia. Because I don't right. think he had, you know. He might have made... just been opening some doors for himself and leaving himself right. some opportunities there. Yeah, I, I've thought right. that myself too. Yeah, I don't, but I totally don't. I'm with you. I don't buy the thing about, you know, he had it that tightly plotted because – if he did, I'll forgive him the kiss, you know, just before the the trench swing in the first movie. Right. But I won't forgive him the Empire. subsequent kiss in Empire. No, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 no. I just, you know, that's too. That's just too creepy. So no, I don't. I don't yeah. buy that bullshit either. He didn't know. That was something that was in a yeah. last minute revision session yeah. for Jedi <laughs> in the scripting session or something, but. uh well, move on to the next one. Let's let's go for the the siege at Yavin. All right. Now uh, I'll, I'll get into it in a little bit, but I've got uh, some some personal history with this issue here. But all right, here we go. Number twenty five. One of my all time favorite comic book covers on this issue. That's no joke. By uh, Carmine Infantino and uh, Bob Wycheck. Of a very Buck Rogers slash Flash Gordon-ish looking space-suited Luke and Leia fending off TIE fighters from the surface of a, of a moon uh, with Yavin looming like huge and red in the background. Just a gorgeous cover. Headlight cover. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Very. She's got some uh, she's got some great boobs on the cover of this issue. Infantino, once again, dirty old man. Yep. Yep, that's probably another reason why I've always liked that cover so much because Leia's boobs just never looked better than I than the cover of this issue, I think. But uh, that's me just being a dirty old man at this point. But anyway, the story in this one, Siege at Yavin. This is by Archie Goodwin uh, doing the writing, Infantino's penciler, and Gene Day, inker. And, uh, you know, I love me some Bob Wycheck, but Gene Day is just – he's the inker of choice for uh, for uh, Carmine Infantino yeah. on these. I, he's just fantastic. So anyway, in the uh, – you know, there's a gorgeous and exciting uh, opening splash page in this. We get right into the action right off the bat, which I love. TIE fighters are streaking out of the sky over the fourth moon of Yavin, and they shoot the poor rebel lookout's tower – and, you know, he plunges to his doom in the jungle below and all that. Um, 
rebel fighter uh, rebel fighters are scrambled, and they, you know there's a big dog fight uh, up in the skies over the fourth moon. We learn that, uh, or we learn from General Dodonna that the ties have been making like these ghostly hit and run attacks for some time now. But the rebels are confused. They don't know where these attacks are coming from. They haven't been able to detect any source for where these ships are coming from. We cut to Centauri's, where Luke and Leia, with the droids uh, in tow, have traded the yacht that they stole from Grayshade for a ship that I think looks a lot like a miniature version of the blockade runner from the first movie. Uh, Luke and Leia, they witness the departure of a House of Tag mining explorer bound for the same section of space that they're headed for, which is the Yavin system. They leave on their new ship, and there's a little bit of dialogue that kind of loosely explains why Han and Chewie aren't with them and why they're missing again. Um, They say something to the effect of, you know, they had to split up so that they could escape from Lord Vader, which doesn't really explain anything, I think, but I, I, it was just kind of a, a bone thrown to the fans, I think, to at least mention Han and just tell you that, you know, well, maybe they'll meet up again at some later point. Um, Luke starts to get the idea that Leia may have the hots for Han Solo, and uh, it is revealed that uh, that there's an Imperial blockade around the Yavin system to keep the Rebels contained. Now, why the Empire doesn't just charge in guns a-blazing and eliminate the Rebels, I don't know. Um, you know, Leia's dialogue makes it seem like like there's sort of like a stalemate going on. Um, but it's kind of vague, and I just – I don't know how much uh, sense the explanation really makes to why the Empire just – you know, they know the Rebels are there. Why don't they just go in and wipe them out? I don't quite get the whole standoff thing that's going on in this issue. But beyond that – you know, uh, you know, so they, uh, you know, fearing that they might flee from their moon base or whatever, or worse yet, you know, that they might win another decisive battle. The Empire seems content to just be containing the rebels, you know, for the time being. So I guess that's how their standoff is working. Luke and Leia, they decide to follow the House of Tag ship because Leia knows there isn't any spice in the Yavin system and she wants to know what they're up to, uh, why they're going there. So we get a shift of scene to inside the tag ship where we're introduced to Baron Tag, who is, you know, at this moment, he's intensely training in the use of a lightsaber. And he hopes that one day he's going to be able to face uh, Darth Vader and duel him, uh, you know, lightsaber to lightsaber. Okay, it seems that uh, the Baron needs cyber vision to see. And wants to repay Vader for using his uh, lightsaber to deprive Tag of his natural sight. So Tag's people, they detect uh, Luke and Leia following them, and they lay a trap. So when Luke and Leia drop out of hyperspace, they find themselves in a field of magnetic space mines. And Luke channels the Force, and you know he uses it to get them out of this situation. And... And a scene that's a lot like the one between Leia and Han in The Empire Strikes Back, 3PO interrupts a lip lock between the princess and her brother to report that they've arrived in the Yavin system. Luke explains that the natural gases from the planet are acting like some sort of, uh, you know, naturally occurring 
uh, jamming device. And thanks to this, they aren't spotted by the House of Tag ship that's you know now just sort of parked in orbit. So Luke takes the ship that they're in behind this small rocky moon, and he and Leia don spacesuits. They jet down to the surface of this moon, and then they actually walk around to the other side of it so that they can spy on the House of Tag ship. Inside the House of Tag ship, uh, Tag is talking about his plans to succeed where Vader, Tarkin, and the Death Star failed, and he wants to curry favor with the Emperor. Uh, he dispatches a small fleet of uh, TIE fighters into the atmosphere of Yavin, which is basically a suicide mission, according to Luke. Yet, you know, as they get close, this, like, tornadic funnel forms, and it basically creates a corridor that travels down to, you know, who knows where inside the planet, and that's where these TIE fighters go. So Luke and Leia, they return to their ship, you know, they're going to go warn the Alliance that there's an Imperial base hidden inside Yavin. And, you know, it's right in their backyard, and that's, you know, where these attacks are coming from. But as they're headed there, they're spotted and shot up by a uh, TIE fighter patrol. So now with, you know, the, with their engines out and their communications being all shot up and uh, they're unable to contact anyone for help, it doesn't look like they're going to survive. <laughs> And that's where we leave off this issue. So what'd you think of this one? This one's good. Um, there's a great picture on page 26 of Leia being Supergirl or Superman doing the Superman flying with one one hand ahead, the other hand to her side, oh, yeah. flying through the air with the greatest <laughs> of ease, lovingly drawn boobs. He really, like, if he gets her in a spacesuit, if you see silhouettes, he's always putting just little hints of nipples on there and stuff so Infantino is just like <laughs> fi- fixated but, so um, am I so the, am I the art is is once again just awesome in this one yes and like li- like you said it's just that degree better for having the Gene Day like fine line you know that mixture he has nice heavy lines and a uh, nice mixture of heavy lines and fi- fine lines that brings a lot more realism to Infantino than usual. And I love the way they draw Baron Tag's engines when they're firing. It looks like something out of the black hole. Mm-hmm. It looks almost like uh, the way uh, Frank Miller would illustrate that, you know? But it's I think what, what wins me over about this issue is, uh, is the, the ships, particularly the TIE fighters... Because on that same page you were talking about with with her flying up like like uh-huh. Supergirl, the panels above with the Tie Fighters uh-huh. going into Yavin and then that tunnel forms and then there's a shot of four Tie Fighters in formation going down through this swirl of of clouds. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I mean it, it it's just perfect because up till now, sometimes the ships are a little sketchy. You know, sometimes they look a little funny, or, or yeah, out of not, proportion. Not enough detail, detail on some parts, but no detail on others. And these ones look just like Tie Fighters. They've got all yep. the, and I think that's a lot of that's Gene Day. I love yeah, the shot too. of the, um, the, um, uh, they have the all the in the hangar bay of Baron Tag's ship. 
Yes. Where they have all the TIE fighters, you know, hanging from their little platforms and, you know, rigged up and people fueling up all the ships and stuff. That's that's great. And sort of something. And that's that shot I was talking about, too, where you see where the hatch is open above uh-huh. where the guy's oh, right. working. Yeah, that's how the toy opened, too. You're right. It had a little hatch up in the top of it like that. It was which... the only way you could jam an action figure in there. I yeah. always fig- I always pictured them sort of like stuck to the side of something and you went in the back. That's how yeah. I always pictured it. But what do I know? <laughs> but yeah, I, lo- I love the uh, – I like everything about this issue because I, you know, I don't know why – I don't know exactly where – the gap in my collection was, I don't know what issue I must have left off at or what. Cause I mean, I loved star Wars and I was collecting the comics, but for some reason there must've been a big gap in my collection because I remember riding my bike up to quick, uh, Mike's quick stop. You remember that place in oh, yeah. Carthage? Oh yeah. And, and this issue was on the stands and it's, it's like it, talk to me or something you know it's i i guess i didn't even realize star wars was was still coming out as a comic somehow i i don't know i must have just lost the ability to buy it well i was gonna say it's very likely that that maybe it wasn't it didn't even show up for a while and you missed it for a few months and that was that that, you know that must be it but i saw this issue and here was a whole new story. I didn't know what was going on. And, you know, this was back in the day where comics were just on the spinner rack, so you could just pick it up and thumb through it. I pick it up and I thumb through it, and here they are. You know, there's an attack. You know, very first page, the TIE fighters are attacking Yavin, and, you know, the rebels are in danger, and, you know, there's a secret base inside. And I was just, as a kid of 10 years old, this was all I needed. Man, It oh, yeah. sucked me in, and this is the comic that I acknowledge as the comic that made me a comic collector. I mean, granted, wow. I had comics before this point. You know, I, I was yeah, predisposed to love comics. Now. Yeah, exactly. This is the one I think for the first time I ever noticed art. You know, I ever noticed that there was a difference between, you know, good art, bad art, good inking, bad inking, you know, and and story and just the whole nine yards because I think this is just a fantastic issue. You know, it it sets up so many things and it it leaves you a great cliffhanger, which just begs you to come back. But, you know, I I mean, I like a comic that from the first page is able to just, you know, you, you can't put it down. I mean, you open that cover and you just, Something on that first page sucks you right in, and this one does it perfectly by opening up that first page, and boom, the TIE fighters are attacking Yavin. Yeah, I mean, as a, like I say, as a kid, this was just this was just candy for my eyes. You know, I was and like, it's wow. Introducing Baron Tag, who's a uh, lightsaber wielding bad guy, mm-hmm. that they could actually do something with story wise. Right. They could mess with his character all they wanted because they invented him. So. Right. So yeah, so that so this is his introduction. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a placeholder for Vader, basically. You know, yeah. they they were able to use Vader again at this point as a motivation for him. But yeah, yeah, but that's about all that they could do was you know every once in a while we'll see a panel or a mention of Vader, but 
But it, it also you know, that also sort of echoes a lot of the politics and stuff of the prequel trilogy, and the Emperor is involved. You know, he's he's doing it directly to to uh, take Vader's place next to the Emperor, mm-hmm. which is a valid. You know, I mean, I'm sure with the Emperor, he's constantly actually, you know, probably wanting to off his apprentices before they get too good, you know. <laughs> and he's probably well, that, always on the lookout for a new apprentice at some point, you know. Well, I don't know if you ever um, read um, either the book or the comics to – do you remember an, an event that happened a few years back? It was called um, Shadows of the Empire. And there was a book and a comic yes. and a soundtrack yes. and a video game. And basically, they treated it as if that was another Star Wars movie, just there was no movie. Uh-huh. And one of the characters in that was a guy called uh, Prince Shizor. And his whole deal was he wanted to replace Vader um, in the Emperor's favor. He, he was trying to basically become Vader's rival for the Emperor's uh attention or whatever and so it's you know the same type of deal like tags trying to do here so you know that that idea has been revisited at least one more time you know with that character so yeah i thought that was interesting and i i like tag i like where they where they go because they go some very interesting places you know in the future with that character i only have one minor art quibble on this one and that's page six for for the entirety of page six luke skywalker is drawn as an elf and Princess Leia has the most constipated look on her face, too, which is like the one where she's sort of, you know the one I'm talking about because you're laughing at it, so you must see it, the one where her face is sort of sandwiched between the big beefy guy and Luke, and she's just sort of, and Luke's got that weird eyebrow. That's what makes him look like an elf. He's got that Spock eyebrow, or it looks like almost like he had an eye patch and someone erased half of it or something. And then on the bottom of the page, it looks straight out of, like, Elf Quest. Yes. Yeah, well, it's hard to even Force tell if Quest. it's a, a girl or a guy in that in that bottom. Especially with that long hair, you can't tell. <laughs> well, then, I like the, the fir- woman with the buns and the boobs, though. The She's fir- pretty. <laughs> the first panel of, of page seven, you know, that, what is that guy's name? Thode or whatever his name is. Yes. You know, he's doing his little exposition and they're looking at him with the most pissed uh, yeah. off looks. Like they're just gonna like sneak up behind him. Like Luke's holding his, his hand up like he's gonna walk up and knuckle him in the yeah, back of the and head. She's sort of standing there going, No, no, just leave him alone. And then the next scene they're like running away like ha ha <laughs> He's both, still talking too. I know, and they're both like scooby dee doo going away. <laughs> they got their arms and legs in that scooby dee doo walking away. Walking, running, leaning into the ship. <laughs> no, she's she's got the pose that you would see in the beginnings of like Scooby Doo cartoons, yeah. where they'd be going, doon, 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 doodle doodle doo. Ah, funny. It's great, and he is also sitting there thinking to be, oh, she can't really love Han Solo, can she? And then they're making out, you know, a couple pages later. Gross. Yeah. You gotta think. Well, it, you gotta think if they don't think back on those moments and just go. You know what? I'm gonna just erase that from my memory, and I bet you she will too. <laughs> well, I will forgive any anything with the character art, just because I think the yeah. uh, uh, 
the ship art so makes up for yeah. all that. In fact, really, my my only quibble with this one is I noticed the the use of the word warp several times when referring to um, hyperdrive. Like hyperdrive. Yeah. And uh, I mean, do they, do they ever do that? They don't ever do that in the I movies. I don't think they right? ever called it warp in the movies. No, yeah. that's pretty Star sure. Trek. Yeah, I'm pretty you know sure. What else, you know what else is? I'm just noticing looking at this again. Space looks really cool in this. Mm-hmm. Space is loaded with a lot of stars, and it looks like a space field rather than just sort of like you're, you know, you're just sort of random black background that they would do. Once again, I think these. And in, in the upcoming issue, I think he had some more time to to really do a you know to do a sweet job on it and really concentrate and and you know design every design it all out so it's you know just compositionally good you know he's going he's basically doing a, for the most part the like six panel sort of deal but it's right. great and it's 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 very uh, it's very it's there's some Buck Rogers Flash Gordon tributes in this for sure you know. And uh, Baron Tag looks a little like Prince Namor, actually, <laughs> in some ways. But uh, they, uh, you know, it, especially when they go down to the the planet on their spaceships, it's or uh, in their spacesuits, it's very uh, Flash Gordon-y, you know, classic pulp, which is mm-hmm. great because that's drawing from the sources that the movie's drawing from, you know, right? And exactly. They're, and they're drawing from the comic book book versions of what the movie drew from visually and story-wise. And another thing I noticed is uh, it's, it, they have, you know, they illustrate Luke's flying power, you know, flying skills very well. And his flying skills are actually very, you know, his his um, way of tricking all the magnetic minds into hitting each other by flying in a crazy corkscrewy pattern is very much like what I believe it's um, Anakin, Anakin does. In is it is it is it in Episode Three that Anakin does that, or am I getting that mixed up with Obi Wan? Well, he does it in two. the in the first movie when he's a little kid because he does that one annoying scene where he You're says, right. "Oh, spinning is good," or whatever he says, yeah. you know. So yeah, but I mean, so right from the beginning, you know, he he had the whole you know spinning around to make things. But yeah, I I, I agree with that. And then there's a great panel of Princess Leia with like a headset on, and the headset <laughs> looks like it's built right into her bun. So her bun looks like a sort of '70s style speaker unit, you know, like the speaker <laughs> you would see inside of your speaker unit with like this like yarn wrapped around it. It's really pretty weird. <laughs> well, I noticed that uh, anticipating Lobot. The buns on the side of her head seem to to change shape at will. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it's like her mutant power or something. Exactly, they're they're parasites that are just like slowly coiling and uncoiling or something. <laughs> anyway, we should probably move on to the next issue because I'm starting right. to I'm starting to just get silly with this one, and I should. Yeah, that's it okay. Deserves respect. It's a fine <laughs> issue and deserves respect. And I just spit on it. No. Number 26. I viciously raped it. Oh, God. (laughs) Hobby raping. All right. So number 26. Excuse me. We've got this story, and this one is called Doom Mission. And uh, it's, again, by, you know, the the usual suspects. we got Archie Goodwin as the writer, Carmen Infantino penciling, and Bob Wycheck returns as our inker in this issue. 
he and Gene Day just kind of trading back and forth issues a lot of times. We got a great cover of Luke. He's on a barren looking Yavin moon and he's uh you know, he's horror struck by this giant blasted hole in R two D two, you know, it's this gaping hole and uh behind him someone is sneaking up on him with a blaster, you know, about to shoot him in the back. Oh, and there's a like a crashed TIE fighter off to the right-hand side. So a uh, really cool cover on this one, I think. We open with two TIE fighters, and they're blasting up the already disabled junker that uh, Leia and Luke have used to return to the Yavin system. Just when Luke has used up his last bit of skill and luck, and all looks lost, suddenly X-Wings from the Alliance Recon Patrol arrive, and they start to take out the TIE fighters. Luke, Leia, and the droids are escorted uh, down to the fourth moon and reunited with General Dodonna. There is a quick battle conference, and you know it's very similar to the conference scene in uh, in Star Wars in the first movie. And they have this little conference, and it's determined that something massive must be inside Yavin's gases, generating those tunnel corridor things that Luke and Leia witnessed the Tie Fighters descend into. So they must find it and destroy it. But how are they going to do it? Every ship that they've uh, sent out is destroyed, you know, by the, you know, this basically it's like a poisonous soup that makes up Yavin's atmosphere. You know, nothing, nothing can survive in there. So Luke suddenly runs out of the conference room. He commandeers a Y-Wing fighter and he travels to another nearby moon where he finds a TIE fighter that he saw uh, shot down and crashed on the surface of the planet or on the surface of this moon earlier. He has R2-D2 set about the task of finding and removing whatever the mechanism is that allows the TIE fighter to navigate into Yavin's clouds. Um, in the midst of doing this, though, R2 is suddenly and viciously blasted by the TIE pilot who, you know, had actually survived the crash and he's been, you know, awaiting rescue all this time. So Luke makes pretty w- quick work of the pilot and he returns to base with both the device and a possibly mortally wounded R2-D2. And C-3PO, you know, he's upset about his friend and all. He asks how long it'll take to repair him. And then Luke gets into a confrontation with a rebel tech who suggests that R2 might better be scrapped for the parts that he, you know, that he contains, uh, you know, to help out the the relief effort. You know, they're short on droids and short on parts and things. You know, and he starts to say that R2, you know, after all, he's only a droid, which, you know, really pisses Luke off. So later on that night, uh, Leia finds Luke, you know, he's deep in thought atop one of the uh, Masasi temples. And Luke is, you know, he's kind of beating himself up over, you know, having run off half cocked and everything and possibly gotten R2-D2 damaged beyond repair. And Leia, you know, she tries to comfort him and all when Dodonna runs up and joins them. And he tells them that a plan has been agreed upon. And that they want Luke, who they consider to be their best pilot, to undertake the mission. Leia objects, you know, to all of this. After all, you know, Luke is a hero now. He's the man who destroyed the Death Star. But Luke, go, you know, he goes ahead and he volunteers for the mission. So the mission is to fly a captured TIE fighter equipped with the technology that Luke recovered into Yavin and ride one of these tornadic tunnels down 
to whatever the source is. Luke sets out on his mission, and there's a scene with Leia blatting in the corner, and C-3PO stands vigil over the lifeless R2-D2. So now it's all come down to this, you know, Luke Skywalker. Um, you know, he returns to where he saw the House of Tag ship uh, discharge a squad of TIE fighters into the gas giant Yavin. And the House of Tag ship's gone now. Uh, but Luke, you know, he goes ahead and he activates his signal device anyway. And a corridor opens up in this, you know, pea soup fog that makes up the planet of Yavin. Luke flies into the planet's clouds and, you know, pretty soon he discovers that there's this just immense turbine generating all of this. And it's got the uh, House of Tag ship is moored to the side of it. So Luke goes ahead and he carries out his mission, which is, you know, an apparent suicide mission of destroying the turbine and, you know, ending the, uh, the inner system threat to the Alliance. The turbine, you know, it detonates, it blows up, and when it does, it horribly cripples Luke's stolen TIE fighter, and it leaves him without any quarter back out. So he's lost in all this murk. He doesn't even know which way is up or down or anything. But, you know, there's a great sequence where it just shows him, you know, really channeling the forest and trusting the forest and trusting himself, as the exposition says, and he eventually emerges, you know, safe and sound from from out of this, you know, haze around the planet. And uh, and you know, he successfully flies off into the stars. He's headed back to base, but he's been unwittingly followed. Baron Tag has followed him out with his ship, and he swears vengeance on Luke Skywalker. And that's where we end the issue. So now Baron Tag's got two axes to grind his Darth Vader axe and his Luke Skywalker axe so he's fighting both sides of the deal the back now that we have Wyatt back some of the ships look a little funky in this but I think this yep. whole episode is episode issue uh, is the, it, that the sequence where he navigates out of Yavin is just awesome yep it's very it's because he doesn't know whether he's going up or down. He feels like he's going down onto the plant, but he, he uses the force and trusts it. And, you know, he feels like he's going down and all of a sudden he comes up out of the, out of the, you know, fog and dust and red murk and into space. And you can see, you can, you cannot, just the way it's drawn, you can see it sort of play out like a movie. It's beautiful. It's very well done. I, I'm glad to, to hear you say like a movie because I think this might just be the most, uh, you know, the the story of, of all this. Yeah, it's the most cinematic, but it's it's the one that most feels like could actually be a filmed episode of Star Wars. You know, something that would actually be movie worthy of of all the things they've done so far. I mean, I love the whole story with the water world and all that, but it gets a little silly with the with the dragons and the riders and all that sort of thing. Whereas this feels like Star Wars, you know, the the whole thing about you know the the Tie Fighters attacking from a secret base inside the gas giant and all. I mean, it's it's so Star Wars. It it doesn't have any of the the sillier comic book conventions or anything like right. that. It really feels very true to the source material and finally feels like they're starting to nail the feel of, 
yeah, exactly. Yeah. And really capture what what the Star Wars universe should feel and act like. And uh, and yeah, it I, also I to... anticipates an ep- episode of Clone Wars where R two gets left behind. Yes. After a battle, and everybody's like, "Well, Anakin, uh, so you lost a droid, you know? We'll get you a new droid." And he's just like, "No, <laughs> you know, it's R two." Yep. And uh, it's, yeah, it's I, almost I the, the same, same reaction. I had the same thought with the with the part with R two. You know, yeah, that 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 reminded me of the the, that the, the scenes play out lost. almost exactly the same with somebody going, "Well, well, you know," and he's just like. No, and, and it's sort of an emotional outburst that leaves the other person kind of shocked, you know, that he got that upset over a droid. Which, by especially by this time period, it's well established that droids aren't actually the most well liked things anyway. So right. Most so probably even a lot of the rebels are still sort of like, well, whatever, it's a droid. I really like that, uh, you know, whether wittingly or unwittingly, and I would believe more unwittingly. That uh, the whole thing with the droid dislike and all that really ties in well to the fact that, you know, the the Clone Wars ended not long before this period. You know, there'd be a lot of these old timers would remember the droid battles and, you know, all that from the Clone Wars and so would have droid resentment. And I like that, you know. Well, it's like the the Nazis. (laughs) It's like the way we look at the Nazis now, you know. I mean, mean, in the... the, um... Indiana Jones movie where he goes, Nazis, I hate those guys. You know, that got a laugh because everybody (laughs) hates them, you know. And it's everybody – it's – it was a while ago, but it's still in recent enough history that everybody's just sort of like, ow, ouch. (laughs) Right. So, so, you know, if you meet somebody right now that's that's a Nazi, you're most likely not, you know, going to tend to like them. (laughs) I only hate. We don't serve Nazis. you kind here. Better wait <laughs> outside. I only hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> but uh, I, I agree with you about the art. You know, with, with all apologies to Bob Wycheck, I think the art does take a serious step back down. But uh, but I did notice. You know, it, it's weird because the art in this it is a step down from the previous issue but within this issue itself again we've i think this must be when he was in that experimental phase or something because the art is up and down and up and down throughout the issue because i think between like pages 14 where you know luke accepts the mission and he leaves and he goes off and then we got you know, the great sequence of him flying down into the thing, and there's a beautiful splash on 21, you know, the big reveal of what's inside yeah. the planet. Yeah, I yeah. love that shot of that giant turbine very, ship and Very all that. cinematic, too. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. It reminds me of uh, Al Williamson, actually. Oh, yeah. But then you cross the point, you know, where you get to page 26 where he destroys the machine, and then there's the big fight to get back out. And the art gets kind of wonky again. It, a lot of really heavy inks and a lot of real heavy shadows. And so, you know, you, you, you start out the, the issue really heavy on the on the ink because that, that opening splash, I really don't care for it. It's just everything that was beautiful in the ties and the ships in the last issues kind of drown out in this one with just inks that are way too thick and and just kind of smothering. But then, you know, in the middle of the issue, 
it looks so you know it's really nice again but then you know when you when you conclude the issue it's back to the heavy ink so you know it's within the issue itself it's very up and down on on the art but i don't think it's uh, i don't think it's infantino i think it's clearly on why check at that yeah, point i, I think agree. it's really the inker but uh you know that aside Man, I love this story. I really, I thought this was just a fantastic story as a kid, and and I'm really pleased to find that. I, I think it holds up. I think it's still a really cool story. Yeah, and it establishes Baron Tag as even more of a threat in this one now. Now he's directly after Luke Skywalker. He's smashing things with his lightsaber at the end of it. Damn his eyes! <laughs> I'll have my revenge. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I like uh, I like old Baron Tag. He 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 proves to be a pretty good uh, recurring character. Pretty good recurring yeah. villain. Yeah, I like him a lot. And uh, at the very end, we get a tease that uh, next issue is going to be uh, a return of the Hunter. Yes. So we uh, we have an idea who that's going to be. And uh, again, that's another favorite one of my. Uh, Mike's Star Wars Marvel Star Wars characters. So yes. Good stuff coming along, man. It's going to be rolling for a while. So I think that about winds us up for this month. Yep. The Big Ten O is over, and next month it's Super Star Wars, Star Wars Monthly Monday, where we drop the comics for a little while, we drop the books, we drop all our petty Star Wars things, and we go back to the well, for to the source, to what started it all, what put me in Rochester where I am today what twisted my mind into a, a rabid collector of things probably besides the influence of like my father <laughs> but it definitely set the tone for a lot of my life it's all George Lucas's fault yeah damn his <laughs> eyes <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com where you can download all of our episodes and find our forum to openly and freely discuss topics from this and all other episodes with us and your fellow listeners. twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email us directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. And thanks for listening to the Two True Freaks podcast. The Two True Freaks now have a phone line where you can call and leave a completely inappropriate message. Maybe we'll even use it on the show. That number is 1-585-COP-LURE. That's 1-585-267-5873. If you enjoyed this show, why not review us in iTunes? And if you didn't enjoy this show, why not review us in iTunes? Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league.
Future Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.